Alrighty. No further ado, we're going to continue on speaking the future into manifestation. Amen? Speaking the future into manifestation. And uh, did anybody have any testimonies or see anything on the horizon yet? Because as I was praying last night, the Lord showed me that we should have expectation from this um, sermon that we're going through. Because this is something that's here for this season. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm going into a follow-up week, I give you kind of like a recap of what I shared the previous week. But there's so much I shared last week that wasn't on the notes that I can't really glance at the notes to say, okay, I said all these different things. So um, last week we did uh, cover the pattern that God has, speaking, visualizing things or thinking about them, speaking them, and then them coming into fruition. And one of the things I know distinctly that the Lord placed upon my heart last week is that as we're speaking to things towards the future, we're not speaking towards them as, can you make this happen, God? Because the, the passage in our text scripture says, speak those things that be not as though they were. Amen? So you're, you're speaking into future to bring forth that which is already manifested in the past into the present. God is deep. That's just crazy. God, bring here now the stuff that's in my future, the stuff that you already did. God is just too deep. That's the kind of God he is. So in other words, we got to get on board with what God's trying to do in our lives. Amen. It's already done. Stop looking to God and say, can you do this for me? God, whip up another batch. God, make another miracle. God's answer to you to all those questions of will you do, can you do, give me another sample of this or whip a batch of that. God's going to say no. Not because he doesn't love you, but because it's already done. How are you going to ask me for something I already did? As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ on the, on the cross, he actually confirmed that. It is finished. Not something I will do. It is finished. So before the foundation of the world, it was done. Man came along, sinned, fell short of the glory of God and messed stuff up. But it didn't change the fact that it was finished. And even when man messed it up... Jesus came back to do what? Restore all those who have fell back to glory. So it was finished. It was desecrated and destroyed. Jesus came, repaired the breach, and we got restored back to the original condition of what we need from God is back in fruition. It is finished. The plan of restoration to get you back to where God originally created you is done. Amen? So when we're looking for things in God and in the future... We don't have to look at this kind of God that we got to beg and plead and can you do and how should you do and when you want to do. It's done, Lord. Just bring the manifestation of it into the present. It's already done. See, my kids come to me and say, Daddy, can I have something for this? If I don't have the money or the capabilities, well, son, I'll think about it. And then I can make a plan to try to save this amount here, save that amount there, save the amount here. And when the proper time comes, maybe I have enough to give them what they need. But see, in life, because I'm imperfect, there's times where I plan a certain thing for my kids to give to them or I plan it for myself. Things come up. Pipes burst. Cars break down. I plan to give it to you, but I can't because there's unexpected things that came along. Thank God we serve a God that when he tells us he's going to give us something in the proper time and season, nothing 
destroys or deters the plan of God coming into motion right now. Nothing strips or diminishes the resources that God has for you. Nothing affects God's timing of your things coming into fruition except for you, yourself, and you. Walking in unbelief, walking in sin, walking in disobedience. The only one can break the plan of God in your life is you not walking along the path that God has for you. That's why it says to walk the street called straight. You detour, you might miss it. The path was right there. He said he broken down the middle wall partition. He talks about us walking the street called straight. God lays out a path for us straight ahead. All my blessings, all my plan, all my inheritance, all your legacy for you, yourself, and your children. Amen? But then we choose to go here. And you wonder why you're not getting the blessing of God. You don't want all over the place. Go down the street called straight. Amen? And see, here's the thing. As long as you're speaking, I'm not going to have. I'll never do. Well, guess what? You're not going to have. You're not going to do. Speak those things that be not as though they were. Yes, it's not here right now. But I'm walking with the mindset that it will be. Because I serve a God that can go beyond my capabilities, beyond my limitations, beyond my hurts and my wounds. I serve a God that can do all things. So, yes, I can't do it. I'm a mess. I'm a reject. I'm a runt. I'm insecure. I'm inadequate. I'm not gifted. I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh. Oh, I'm not supposed to be talking about I'm. I'm supposed to talk about the God that despite my deficiencies, despite my quirks, despite my difficulties, I serve a God that if I get outside of the God of myself, uh-oh, he can do all things according to what? His riches and glory. Amen? Speak those things that be not. Are you living in the world of not? Are you living in a world or not? Speak those things that be not. See, some of us are staying there. I speak those things that be not. I don't have money in the bank. I don't have health. I don't have peace. I don't have strength. I don't have any kind of stability. I don't have. I live in the land of not. But God says get out of the land of not and get into the land of speak those things that be not as though they were. Yes, it's not right now, but it will be. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Think about the Shunammite woman. Her kid's dead. Dead. And this is before the revelation of resurrection through Jesus Christ. This woman's Old Testament. Amen? All she knew, according to her biblical tradition, is that somebody dies... They go, you know, dispatch of them. They start to decay, and that's it. But yet the woman had a revelation that's beyond most of what we have in the day, the days, today's church with the Holy Spirit inside of us, with libraries and commentaries and computer programs and TV programs and all this stuff. This woman had a greater revelation of the gospel and the power of God than we ever have, amen? Because despite the death she saw on that bed of her kid, she said, get a donkey ready. Throw that boy 
on that donkey. He said, don't you let up. If we don't fall off this thing, don't you let up until we get to the man of God. Why? Because it will be well. It shall be well. It shall be well. See, she spoke of the future. It shall be well. Living in the not, my son is dead. Medical history tells me that once you're dead, you're gone. But yet she said, I'm not going to stay here in the land of not going to happen, not going to be healed, not going to be resurrected. It shall be well. It shall be well. It shall be well. See, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, she said it three times. It shall, it shall, it shall be well. Speak those things that be not as though they were. Speak into the future as to what God's going to do. And we see according to word that what she spoke, because she, envis- she visualized it, she spoke it, being made in the likeness of God, he caused the manifestation of the, of the blessings. Amen? Hallelujah. See, the prophet was just... Uh, a, a contact between her and God. But the fact is, the faith already put into motion the healing that he needed in that situation. Speaking into her future, and she saw the manifestation of her son coming forth. Hallelujah. All right, so let's go to our text scripture. Romans four seventeen, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believeth, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for what you're about to do in our lives, Father. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. Your word is infallible. Your word is breathed. Hallelujah. To mankind through the Holy Spirit. And because we could trust it, Exactly as it is stated, we know, Father, hallelujah, that everything that we're visualizing, speaking, that is called and purposed for us by you will come into manifestation if we do not get distracted, if we do not get seduced, if we do not get deterred, if we do not walk in unbelief. We praise you, Father, for your timely word in this season that we will start to speak, profess, believe, visualize, proclaim all the promises. And even last week, as you laid on my heart, If something is still pulling on us, how could it be dead? So we speak forth dreams from the past. Hallelujah. We speak forth gifting that we walked in, that we walked away from. We speak forth opportunities, businesses, different things that you've placed in our hearts upon the over the years that we may have even forgotten. We speak those things, hallelujah, into full manifestation. And we thank and praise your Father for this. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Speak those things with, which be not as though they were. And as we saw last week, the word quickeneth means to revitalize, to make alive, and to give life. Are you revitalizing the things that you visualize? Are you speaking death over them? Or are you speaking life over them? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What are you speaking over those things? What are you perceiving and visualizing over those things? It also says here, God that quickeneth the dead, calleth those things would be not as though they were. That word calleth means to bid to come forth. Your future is calling. Your future is calling. Your future is calling. Are you responding to the call? And are you speaking towards those things to come forth in your life as well that God has envisioned for you? Now, as I said, last week we talked about how God visualized, he spoke, and things that came into manifestation. We talked about also how even before the birth of Jesus, God not only ensured that the vessel used, amen, was spoken over and prophesied over in a godly manner, 
But also Jesus coming forth out of the womb of his mother had prophecies over his life as well. Have you spoken godly things over both the things that are in store for you for your future as well as those that God will use, all the resources, all the people? Have you spoken godly things over them? Because if they're hindered, they might be hindered in the aspect of what they have to do in your life to help you get over the hump. Are you speaking to those things? And once again, if those things are still pulling on you, how can you say they're dead will never happen? A dead man can't pull on you. A dead man can't talk to you. A dead thing cannot interact with you. If it's still pulling on you, tugging on you, you feel it in your heart. Every time you think of it, you get excited. How can you say it's dead and it's not speaking to you? And if it's speaking to you, it's not speaking just so you can sit there and never do it. It's speaking because it's trying to bid you into action. Amen? Hallelujah. Respond to the call of those things speaking to you. Now, as we're going to go forth today, the Lord took me to the book of Judges. And we're going to read that. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all the, his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. As one man. You're a one-man army. <laughs> and if God could do that in Gideon, why couldn't he do that in each one of us? See, the reality is, as we look at Gideon, we see that the circumstances of his birth, and as we look at ourselves, the circumstances of our birth and our background should never deter us from believing that God can deliver us from various situations, nor should it allow us to believe that we can never bring deliverance to ourselves or to other people. Because at any time, God can step in, and as we see with Gideon, he looked at him, and the angel coming to him said, Hello, mighty man of valor. He didn't believe it. He's like, my family's at least in Manasseh, you know, the family that's in the bad neighborhood. And then he said, in the midst of that family, I am the least of them. So it's bad enough we're on the wrong side of the tracks, but within this family on the wrong side of the tracks, I am the least of them. I don't know if that means the black sheep, the overlooked one, the runt, the one that was less gifted in terms of Field work, manual labor, education, whatever. But he was the least of the least of the brethren. But yet God said, if you'll listen to the call that I have upon you, there's something that I want to do out of your life. Amen? Something that I want to use you for. And although we may get... Although we may get down on ourselves, God... Never speaks anything but greatness over our lives. Amen? Never speaks anything but greatness over our lives. We might speak down, say, oh, oh, woe is me. I'm pitiful. I'm nobody. 
I'll never amount to anything. But God will never speak to you the same way you might be willing to speak to yourselves. Because God, anytime he looks at us, sees the plan that he had for our lives. He sees the gifting. He sees the call. He sees the overall purpose. And he doesn't allow the temporary situation and the mistakes that we go through to redefine us to be something other than what he envisioned for us. Amen? God only sees you according to what he called you to be and do. And the reality is you may choose to say, I'm not going to do it. But that doesn't change the perceptions of God. And matter of fact, we see that in everyday life. Sometimes we see that, uh, especially young men, may get themselves in trouble. And every time they go to mama, he may, may have committed the worst crimes in history. Every time they go to mama, oh, he's a good boy. I just love my baby. Mama refuses to see anything bad about her son. Now, sometimes I can get a little bit crazy. And mama, come on. <laughs> he done mass murder 20 people. Come on, he is not a good boy. But the reality is, mama refuses to see her kid according to anything other than what she originally envisioned for his life. In other words, she never gives up on him. No matter how bad and no matter how dysfunctional or even criminal he may have acted. Now, hopefully none of us will go that route, but the reality is God at an even higher level sees what he envisioned in your life when he formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. And no matter what you say, no matter what you try to do to avoid it, God is not going to change how he sees you. Amen? He's not going to change it. You might, your mistake, but God's not going to change that. Another thing, too, we see here is that even though the enemy may afflict you or oppress you in various situations. We should never permit the, ourselves to be permanent victims of the enemy. Don't walk around every day saying, oh, oh, I'm just a mess. Oh, I'm defeated. Oh, I'll never be victorious over this. You should never allow yourself to have that mindset. God has called us to be overcomers, people of impact. As we see with Gideon, he was somebody who was called to overcome the oppression and strangleholds over his life. And not only that, to be used to be a person of impact that would literally change an entire nation. As a matter of fact, if you look at Gideon, the very circumstances that led him to hiding over at the wine press with his grain was the very thing that would agitate him to do what God had assigned him to do. Amen? What things or going on in your life right now that are agitating you. It's getting on my last nerve. They just aren't changing. The situation never seems to turn around. No matter what I do, no matter how I pray, it never seems like I get victory over this. I'm just getting buffeted and buffeted and buffeted by all these things that are going around all the time. Now, what happened with Gideon is that as they were dealing with the oppression of the Midianite people, he got so tired of the enemy oppressing and coming in and stealing his stuff that finally the day came where he said, you know what? When I go to thresh this wheat, I'm not going to sit here out in the open and do it where they could just watch me do all the hard labor and then come steal my stuff. He said, instead, I'm going to take this stuff this time. I'm going to take it over here. Oh, they ain't looking good. I'm going to take this stuff over here by the wine press, clean it up, then I'll take it home so I can make bread or whatever he's going to prepare with it. But little did he know that we got agitated enough by the oppression of the enemy and took that wheat by the wine press, that the wine press was symbolic for 
the juice of grapes, because in a wine press you crush grapes to make wine. And wine is representative of the blood of Jesus. You see, sometimes oppression will drive you into the presence of God. Amen? See, you don't even know you be, you do, you being deep. You don't know you're doing something that's at an intercessory level. You don't know that you've been driven into the presence of God. But sometimes oppression is good if it pushes you closer to the presence of Jesus. Amen? <laughs> and when he was at the wine press, what does he do? He takes the wheat by the wine press, representative of the blood of Jesus, and then it says he th- starts threshing the wheat. When you're threshing the wheat, as you know from the New Testament, they talk about the wheat and the tares. When you're threshing the wheat, you're hitting it, and you're knocking all the tares loose, the weeds and all that stuff that are you know, take the purity out of it. You whip that stuff all out of the way and then you take the clean wheat and that's all the good stuff. But see, the wheat and the tares, the the tares are representative of wickedness, unrighteousness, oppression. So as he was threshing the wheat by the wine press, God's looking at the situation. He said, okay, my son's starting to get it finally. He's starting to get into the presence of my son and he's starting to get so fired up by the oppression and the deviltry and the wickedness and the oppression that he's dealing with from the people that he's finally in the spirit and in an intercessory intercessory fashion whipping the oppression out of the wheat and what he did in the spirit and in the supernatural. Now I'm going to tell him I'm calling you to do this in the natural. Amen. So the intercessory act of driving oppression or tears out of the wheat was now something that God said, okay, he's in motion with it in the spirit. Now I'm going to tell my son, I'm calling you to do this in the midst of your nation. You're going to dry the tares, the Midianites, out of the midst of your people. But we see here that sometimes we still fight with God. <laughs> if you know from Gideon, he fleeced them. And God responded to the fleece. And then he said, flip it the other way. And he fleeced them again. And God showed him supernaturally that I could have one side of the fleece wet with dew and the other side would be totally dry. And then even after that, he had an army that was a certain size. And God said, no, when you go down to the stream, those, there's going to be some that are going to just put their heads down and lick up the water. And there's going to be some that cup it in their hand. And God said, I'm going to diminish the numbers of your people. But God bless you. Through the tests and through the trials and through the process that he went with Gideon, he finally got to him to the place where he said, you know what? I'm going to do what God called me to do. Amen? What things are you dealing with in your life? And how do you handle them? Do you get agitated so much that you run away from God? Do you get troubled so much that you murmur and complain? Or do you get yourself into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? And let him show you that the very thing that seems to be afflicting you, terrorizing you, tormenting you, defeating you, and getting you on your last nerves is the very thing that God said, I have you on assignment to be the deliverer, not only for yourself, but all these other people. Because when you deliver yourself, you're going to take all these people along with you. Amen? (laughs) You're so much bigger than you even think. We get so focused on the trials and tribulations that we are dealing with, that sometimes we forget there's a lot of people watching us. Do you realize your trial may not even be about you? Your affliction don't even have your name on it? And you're sitting there like, 
God, why are you allowing the devil to sift me by like wheat? God's like, it ain't about you. And you're sitting there praying, hands laid on you, oil leaking down to the floor. I mean, you, you bent over speaking in tongues. I mean, you're going through all the spiritual things. You're reading the word more. And I'm not telling you not to do that. But I'm saying, sometimes we're trying to figure out, why are you allowing this to happen, God? And the whole time, God's saying, it's not even about you. I'm just letting you get agitated to stir up your gifts, get you into motion so that you can deliver all them other people that are afflicted that don't even know how to handle it. Amen? So it ain't even about you. See, that's the thing. We're so self-minded, but it ain't even about us. I think I shared this before, but I wasn't even really worried about it. I was like, I'm at peace with it. But when I had you know, the cancer and the upcoming surgery, I just happened to pray one day and I said, you know, Lord, I'm not murmuring and complaining. I'm at peace with this. You're God that can heal me supernaturally, or if you have me go to surgery, either way you want it to go. I will not complain. I'm cool with it. I'm trusting you to get me through it, and I'm totally fine with it. But I said, Lord, I don't want this to come to nothing. So what is the purpose of me going through this cycle? Because I even, before I got the um, diagnosis, I did daily communion. You know, blood of Jesus, the, the bread of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, believe in God for supernatural healing. Before I even got the prognosis. I was believing healing. Walking to the office, you got cancer. <laughs> so I was like, Lord, what do you want to come out of this? And I was praying and then all of a sudden it just came back to me. Sometimes a tree has to be tapped so that sap could flow out of it. And then he spoke the second thing. Maybe I'm a little dumb. He had to say it another way. <laughs> he said, sometimes a vial has to be broken so that ointment can be released. Amen? So Lord was like, in other words, it wasn't really even about me. It's about those I would be able to speak through, and God could use me to help heal through my crises. Amen? It ain't like I wanted surgery, but the fact is, God said there's people out there that don't know me, that through your testimony of how you got through this, you're going to bless them and encourage them and strengthen them. Amen? You know, the, the, the dealership, dealership where I got my car, dealership where I got my car, when I, got back to, when I went back to get my plates, the, the, the guy that helped me get my deal basically said, oh, um, do you have a few minutes? And he already told me about this, this person at the dealership. And this person, I'm not going to say the, the title or position or name, but this person was very high up. I'm talking about a whole multiplex. This guy is like at the top. He's basically like, went through the same sur surgery and is discouraged. I ended up people coming, knocking on the door, peeking in the office. Like, we have like a sales meeting, like of all the dealerships, sales meeting. This guy's running the meeting. He's like, hold on, tell him I'll be there. Spent 45 minutes talking to this guy about the very procedure I had. And we were done. He gets up, throws his arms around me. Brian, I just want to thank you so much. You blessed me. Now, <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but to me, that's fruit. Amen. That's fruit out of my affliction. Amen. Hallelujah. See, that's the thing. We take our eyes off of ourselves and says, my affliction, hallelujah, may bring many sons to glory. It's all good. Jesus Christ himself said, unless a, a, a grain of wheat fall on the ground and die, it cannot bear much fruit. But if it dies and goes to the ground, it can bring up an entire harvest of fruit for the kingdom. Don't let your affliction 
change your perspective of your destiny, of your future. Don't let your current circumstances, your trials and tribulations define you and limit you and make you think nothing is going to come out of my life. Instead, look at the afflictions and say, it's all a part of the testimony of where God is taking me into my future. Amen. Hallelujah. I got a full, <laughs> I like that. I got a full portfolio of the greatness of God. Amen. A full portfolio. Let me, let me explain what I mean. When I was um, taking classes at Regent University, one of the first classes I did, and I showed it, I think it showed it to you, right, Tony? Um, one of my classes, we had assignment that we had to build basically a spiritual portfolio. You talked about your personal biological background. You talked about your church background. You talked about your church, your pastor. You just broke down your, your professional career, your education, all these different things. And by the time I was done, I had a thing that was about three, about three, four inches thick. I was like, wow. You know, my first ministry engagement where I was launched, my first Good Friday service, I had all this stuff, stuff in there, CDs and samples of Bible study teaches and stuff like that. And as I looked at it, I was like, the only thing that's a shame about it is that I didn't keep putting more stuff into it over the years. Because sometimes we go through life and we think, oh, well, there's nothing major about me. But if you really to take inventory of what God has done in you and through you and for you and where he's got you to go, you would see that you have a full portfolio of anecdotes and testimonies and things that God has done in your life that somebody else is just waiting to hear. Amen? Somebody else is just waiting to hear. Hallelujah. So don't allow the circumstances, the trials, the tribulations that are in your life right now to define you, to limit you, to box you in. And God help us, don't let it defeat you. Amen? It is only there for a short season. And I'm not saying that it feels good. I'm not saying that we're going to love affliction. But he says, amen, <laughs> if, we're, if we're afflicted like Jesus, amen, and we suffer like Jesus, amen, we're going to basically reap all kinds of eternal wars and blessings and an inheritance in Jesus. He promises us that, amen, hallelujah. So do not allow yourself to be a permanent victim of your circumstances. Instead, look and see how you could be a Gideon in the midst of your circumstances. Just like him, you might be the one person, just think about that, one person to turn an entire situation around. Martin Luther King didn't know that he would have the impact he did. Mother Teresa, do you realize this woman lived in abject poverty, amen, in Calcutta for all these years? Just poverty, disease, orphans, oppression, all these bad situations. And yet when this woman died, they said that people, I'm talking about not just people, but rulers of other nations were so blessed by what she did. And here's the thing. She saw herself really as nothing, if you've ever read any of her quotes. But yet, you had premiers and princes from other nations, people of other re religions that were watching her life. And when they died, they said, I have to go and honor her. You don't know the impact that you might have, Hallelujah, even in the midst of oppression. But allow those things to stir up the gift of God inside of you. And as I said, let them incite you to action. The things are not there to incite you, to percolate within you, and just 
come to nothing. Instead, let those things called the gifting of God to stir up inside of you and cause them to push you into action in God. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, next thing, we're going to look at Moses. God took me into Moses. Exodus 4, 1 through 14. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again. As his other flesh. And it shall come to pass that they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the land by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. There's so much in this. If we put ourselves into the eyes of Moses, there's so much meat in this passage of Scripture. Just look at this. <laughs> They will not believe me or hearken to my voice. We know about that. Oh, nobody respects me, in other words. Well, even if I come to try to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, they're not going to believe in me. And when I speak towards my future, where I'm going, what God's going to do, they're not going to believe me. Yeah, right, he's going to do that for you. Oh, you think you're better than us. You ain't nothing but a dreamer. Amen? You can talk all that nonsense you want. I've seen your life. I know where you came from. I know your mistakes. And I know the mess that's in your life right now. Who do you talk about? You're going to be all that. You ain't, you ain't nothing. Dreamer. You ain't nothing but a foolish dreamer. And that's the stuff they say to you. That ain't the stuff they're really saying. <laughs> and some of them are actually cursing you. That's why you got to be careful who you're telling what's going on in your life. Be running your business all out here. I'm so sick and tired of people putting all their news out on Facebook. Some of that stuff ain't nothing but a posting for people to pray against you. You better watch what you're putting out there in your local news. Amen? You better be careful and discerning because everybody, even those who seem to be on your side, don't necessarily have your back. Oh, yeah, they, oh, no, I'm sorry. They have your back because they're putting a knife in it. <laughs> you better watch it. 
Y'all remember I talked about, you know, beware the sons of Belial. They'll lay dormant, seem all passive. You think, oh, that's the last person ever attacked me. Oh, they're over there sleeping. As soon as they see weakness, boom. Et tu, Brute? Julius Caesar part two. As soon as they see a chance, they thrust you through. Amen? So you be careful and watchful. But the thing is, they may not say that. But the reality is, even though they may say that and may try to ignore you, if God is speaking to you, who can be against you? Amen? One of the things that Gamaliel said about the early church, he said, you know what? These people preaching all this Jesus resurrection stuff, if this stuff is not true, it's going to come to naught. But he said, if it is true, we better be careful as touching these men or the wrath of God himself might be poured out upon us. You better watch what you're speaking against. So as long as we're on the side of God, keep pushing on, keep speaking towards your future, keep walking towards your future, and don't let anybody deter you from fulfilling the call that he has on your life. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says to Moses, what is that in thine hand? Now, if God created a whole universe, I would think he knows what a rod is. Amen? But see, God has a way of posing rhetorical questions uh, to us. Because Moses, looking at himself, all he could see, I stutter, I got this or that, I murdered a man, I ran for my life, and you know, if I go back to there, they're going to arrest me as a murderer, and you know, the, the Egyptians don't like me because I killed one of them, the Jews don't like me because I'm a sellout, house you know what? That's what Moses basically was. He was like the house slave, living up in the palace as a son of the Pharaoh. They're out there in the field getting their backs whipped. So he's like, if I go back there, nobody likes me. I ain't trying to go back there. And he said, I'm inadequate. I stutter. I don't have anything that will make anybody think I could possibly be a deliverer. Amen. But God says, what is that in your hand? And see, that's the thing God put on my heart to each one of us today as we're looking towards our future and whether or not we can fulfill the future God has for that. What is in your hand? Maybe not literally in your hand, but in other words, what is at your disposal? What are your gifts? What are your mental traits? What are your vocal traits? What are your uh, artistic traits? Maybe your mathematical. I mean, we all have different kinds of giftings. And see, the very thing that Moses said is nothing but a stick or a rod, God said, I could do a miracle with that thing, if you just trust me. What miracle is God trying to produce out of the thing that you're calling nothing but a rod? Amen? I'm going to say it again. What thing that's in your hand right now are you saying, huh, just a rod? And God said, that's a miracle-making thing. Stop seeing a stick. See something that can be used as a tool against the enemy. Because the thing that Moses thought was nothing but a rod, not only did it become a snake and then get turned back into a rod, but if you recall, when he went to the sea, he stuck that rod down into the, the bank and it parted an entire ocean. So that same tool that Moses said was nothing opened the pathway for all his people to leave that nation. What pathways does God want to open with the tool that's in your hand that right now you might be saying, that's a stupid stick. It's worthless. If I lose it, I don't even care. It's not worth much. I wouldn't even take it to a pawn shop. And the whole time God says, that's your weapon of mass destruction against the enemy. 
And here you are belittling and demeaning it. How can the enemy be afraid of it when the person that has it in their hand doesn't even respect the tool that I placed there? I'm going to repeat it again. This series, I keep repeating stuff. How can the enemy respect the tools that are in your hand when you're looking at them and you're basically saying it's nothing, it's worthless, inadequate, it's meaningful, meaningless. Everybody else has a better tool. That's another thing. Are you jealous about the tools God gave somebody else so much that you're obsessing? Got to have that tool. Got to have that tool. Wish I had one of those. I want to be like Mike and have this and that. You're sitting there obsessing and, and, and just dismissing your thing. It's gathering dust. God tries to give it to you, throw it to the side. And the whole time, God said, that's your spiritual weapon of mass destruction. And you're sitting here chasing something that's not even adequate or the right equipment for the tools and the assignment that I have for your life. Do you realize a tool could be powerful, but if, it, you, if it's used improperly, it could actually break the thing you're trying to fix? Or it might not fit. I'm just getting a picture. I'm getting a picture like doing a car repair. And sometimes on a car, especially in modern technology, you got stuff that is in such a tiny spot or angle that, for instance, you can't just take uh, a ratchet with a straight end and stick it down. It won't even go because it's not manufactured to get through the spot it needs to get through to reach the part. So what the manufacturer would do, knowing how intricate the engine is designed, he'll not only craft the engine uniquely to work and be efficient, but also will make the tools and craft special, specific tools that will go right into that gap and pull out that part and then allow you to put the new part in. But if you get in there with that thing, let's say you take a, a, a crowbar or something and you make your way in with your tool to get in there, not only can you possibly snap something off, which makes the repair even more difficult, but you could damage other stuff trying to get in there. So you took one thing that was broken and made the job worse. Made it worse. And God's saying, I gave you the perfect tools for what I called you to. Why are you trying to pick up a sledgehammer when I told you you need a pipe wrench? Why are you trying to put the spark plug for a Maserati into a VW coupe? It don't work. Or if it does go in there, you might cram the thing in there. Because it doesn't fire right or sparks wrong, you might blow your engine up. So God's saying to us today, use the tools that I gave you. The one that I signed to you. Because when I manufacture you, I called you to go where I've called you to go and do what I've called you to do. I've equipped you with everything you need. And if it's not innately inside of you, I'm providing you all the resources that are unique to your journey. Stop trying to work with everybody else's tools. Stop chasing after other tools. Use the tools that God has sovereignly ordained for your life. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I was reading this also, 
And I saw the first miracle with the serpent and the rod. And that's, to me, that would be enough. Like, wow. I threw my rod on the ground, turned into a serpent. Whoa. Thing big as an anaconda with the head and teeth of a viper. <laughs> I ain't touching that thing. And God says, go get it. And he's like, I'll grab by the tail. <laughs> then it turns back to a rod. I'm like, that would be enough for me to say, okay, I trust you, God. But then all of a sudden, God says, stick your hand into your bosom. And he does that, and he brings it out. And he's got the hand of a leper. And if you know anything about that, it's just like sores and wounds and pus. And it's just nasty. Just think of something diseased and pussy and bleeding and open wounds and stuff like that. So he sticks his hand and brings it out. And his, his hand's destroyed. And all of a sudden, God says, put it back in and bring it back out. And his hand is back to normal. And I asked the Lord, I was like, well, Lord, um... Why'd you have to do that? I was like, why was that necessary? And he said, the hand is representative of one's power and direction. Because with the hand, I can grab, I can lift, and I can steer. So he said, it's representative of that. And he said, the bosom is representative of the core of somebody's being. Amen. Their sense of self, their source of strength, as well as what is vital to them. So when Moses placed his hand into his bosom, he learned that what was originally healthy could become leprous within a matter of seconds. <laughs> so in other words, you can't trust in your flesh. And the thing is, placing his hand into his bosom, I think God was really telling him is that you may think your core, your center, center has everything within you to sustain you and get you where to go. But when I put you, had you put your hand in there, it got contaminated by what was inside of you. The self-doubt, the pity, the inadequacies. He didn't, he, think about that. Take a step back. Did God need to put his hand inside? He could have just had him go like that. Leprosy, healing. God said, no, reach in there, reach inside. Reach into the midst of yourself. And see what's really in you. And when he brought it out, leprous. And like I said, it only took a second for that to occur. And then when he put it back in, it became clean. But I believe what God was really saying to him there is that what's inside of you can contaminate you and corrupt you and render you leprous if you trust in it. And the strength that you think is so infallible, if you trust in your own self, it'll destroy you. Amen? In a matter of seconds. But the same person that allowed you to go through the moment of being leprous is the same one that within seconds can restore you to feel full healing. Not only in your hand, but inside of you. So don't see yourself as the murderer, as the person that is a refugee, as the person who is in the middle of two worlds that everybody despises. See yourself instead as the one who's being sent by the one true God to be the deliverer, amen? I can cleanse you, I can make you whole, I can make you get outside of the mindset of all your inadequacies, and I can use you to be a deliverer to all those people. If you get outside of seeing what is in, uh, of yourself being the thing that drives you. Because like I said, things may seem to be healthy, but they could be stricken, scourged, or contaminated 
within moments. Sometimes from, from external forces, but sometimes it could be contaminated by ourselves and what is buried within us. We can contaminate ourselves as well. But thank God, he can instantly restore us to wholeness and bring us to new life, to new confidence, to new belief in ourselves. Amen? If we trust in him and we obey him. That is the key thing. We have to get to the place where we no longer see ourselves as inadequate, as inefficient. I'm not eloquent. I'm not this or that. Instead, God knows that. Matter of fact, that's, God, that, that's why God told, told him, not only what is that in your hand, but God said, who made man's mouth? How are you going to try to tell me? <laughs> the author and finisher of your faith, the captain of your salvation, the one who created all things. How are you going to try to tell me that you have a problem with the center of your speech and you stutter? How are you going to try to tell me that? Matter of fact, God goes a step further. Not only am I aware that you have problems with your mouth, God said, who was with your mouth when it was made? Uh-oh, wait a minute. If God was with my mouth when it was made, why do I have a defect? That means you watch my defect being formed, God. Why would you do that? So we'll trust him. <laughs> See, if you're perfect in every area, what do you need him for, for? So God says, I will allow the defect to be in your, in your life. It may be a physical defect. It may be a mental defect. It could be an emotional defect. It could be something, a trauma from something that you encountered over the years. But God is not surprised with your defect. And what he's saying is that although these things may have occurred over the years, you may have felt like you were alone. I was with you the entire time. I was with your mouth. I was with the abuse. I was with this, not in the act of the sin, but I was there present when you disobeyed me and did the sin. Amen. God was there the whole time trying to get us right, trying to get us to respond to the call of what he wanted us to do. He's there the whole time. We may have refused to listen, but we get to the place where we listen and trust him. God says, Destiny is awaiting. Future is waiting. Deliverance is waiting. Not only for you, but for all the people that are awaiting you. Just think about that. People were waiting for Moses. People were waiting. They didn't know he was going to be the key. Matter of fact, when he came back, like, what's the sellout doing here? <laughs> you used to live in Pharaoh's house. And that's another thing. People may not even see you as the person called to deliver them doesn't change, change the fact of what you're called to do. Because at the end of the story, they were all following Moses. He first came there, oh, you, you live in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter even sometimes what we think. And we see that Moses kept trying to make excuses and send this one and send that one. And somebody else is more suited to the task and... Finally, we see that when he kept making excuses and refusing that, it said that his anger finally was kindled against Moses. Hopefully, none of us are in the place where God's anger is starting to get kindled. <laughs> we got a wood burning stove, and when we first used the stove, we had a hard time lighting it because we didn't really understand the process. It's more... It takes more than you think. Because you just think, oh, throw some wood in there and light it. But you can't just do that. You have to make a bed of embers first. Amen? Because you put some thick wood in there, no matter how dry it is, that wood will actually snuff the fire out. So there's an art to lighting a fire. So imagine 
how long suffering God is to get to the point where he's finally kindled against you. He's been waiting a long time. <laughs> There's been, <laughs> he's been trying and trying and trying to get you started. And yet, send him, send her. I'm not the one. Bad tool, problem with my mouth, all these different excuses. And the whole time, God is like, all right, I'm going to try to keep convincing you. But you don't want me to start the fire. <laughs> all of a sudden, you'll be motivated. <laughs> oh, I'm motivated. <laughs> Smacking the fire out. <laughs> I'm motivated. <laughs> So God wants us to be propelled to our future, and God doesn't want us to trust in ourselves. God wants us to go out and be willing to go to the places. And as we see with Moses, the place of his greatest defeat was the very place God says, go there. That's the thing. If God had told Moses... You know, if God had told Moses to go probably to a thousand different places, he'd probably been like, sure. Whoa, you got to be kidding. You ain't telling me to go back. Okay, wait, wait, wait. All right, God, I'll work with you. I'll go back to Egypt, but I'll go over to this city over here on the, the east side of Egypt. No, God's like, no, no, no. You're walking right up to the palace where you used to live, where everybody, like, cheers, knows your name. Hey, Moses. <laughs> Except they're trying to throw rocks, shoot arrows, and he's just like, oh, just head on back. So the very place of your greatest defeat, your greatest embarrassment, God might say, guess where I'm taking you. But think about that. God loves you enough that the very place of your greatest shame the place of the greatest skeleton in your closet that you don't want anybody to know about. God said, oh, no, to have you totally healed and delivered, I'm going to deliver them. But in the midst of that, I'm going to take all the skeletons out of your closet as well. So you're fully exposed before me and you're fully healed. And so, matter of fact, people will be amazed that you can even have the nerve to show up, let alone be the person that delivers many people from their circumstances. That's how much God loves you. He wants you to taste and see that he's good. He wants you to taste and experience victory, not just talk about it, but he wants you to taste and experience victory, not only for your own life, but for the lives that he's called you to interact with. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do one more for today, and then we'll stop. Make sure there's nothing else in this. That was it. All right, going to go to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. So Hatach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him 
and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him for her people. And Hatach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's providence do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to be to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall, I'm sorry, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go into, in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. All right, here we basically see that Haman has a plot. He He's... Some people call him an early antichrist because he had a spirit that he wanted to wipe out the Jews. So he basically put out money and everything. He was having gallows built so that he could have all the Jews beheaded. Now Esther is up in the palace and everything, and basically they get news of the plot, and they, they, they go to her through the messenger, Hatach, and said, hey, here's the plot that's about to occur. Since the king loves you, go in and talk to the king and get him to forbid that the Jews get harmed. But Esther, according to the tradition that they knew at the time, if anybody goes into the throne room while the king is on the throne, if he holds out his scepter, you're allowed to to come approach him. But if he doesn't put out his scepter, (laughs) bye-bye. You're gone, exterminated. So she basically said, hey, the king hasn't asked me to come have an audience with him for 30 days, so I don't know if I'm even allowed to go in his presence. So he basically said, you know, don't think that you and all yours are safe being in the house of the king. When they start off with some of the Jews that exterminated them, eventually they're going to say, oh, by the way, king, there's another Jew up in your house, and they're going to kill them all too. So he said, don't think you're going to be safe, but he tells her, If you don't want to do it, God can send uh, the opportunity for somebody else to be the vessel used to bless and save the Jews, but your house may not be spared. So anyway, she looks back on the situation. She said, you know what? All right, tell everybody to fast and pray. And me and my maids are going to fast and pray as well. And then whether I live or die, I'm going to walk into the presence of the king. And end of the as we get to the end of the story, we see she does go into the king. He holds out the scepter. And at the end of the story, Haman basically gets um, killed on the same gallows that he had built to kill the Jews. Amen? 
So what we see from the situation is, and as it relates to our future is, the hardship surrounding our current circumstances should not overwhelm us. Amen? Nor should we sit back and say, well, if I sit here quietly, the trouble is going to bypass me. Because the very thing you stand back and say, I don't want to bother that, might be the same thing that comes back to haunt and devastate you. Amen. If you don't take ownership of it at times and say, I need to be the vessel that God used to intercept and prevent this situation from occurring. But because she did that and did not sit back and say, I'm not going to disturb the peace and mess with the status quo. God blessed her and enabled her to be used to not only save herself, but basically save the nation. And then it led to the execution of the very person that tried to take them down. So that basically shows us that we have a responsibility. Are you going to be reluctant to stand your ground for righteousness and allow the enemy to advance? Or you're going to say, if necessary, I'll fast and pray. And if nobody else wants to step in, I'll be the one that stands in the gap and steps in and is willing to take the arrows and the darts for righteousness. I'm willing to go and step in to be used by God. We see here that in her case, God used her powerfully. And like I said, the very assignment and attack that the enemy had for Esther and for all the Jews was the very thing that the enemy overturned and then used against him. And God, God has a way of doing that. Just think about that. The Moses, the water that should have killed Moses, water was used to kill and exterminate the army of Pharaoh. Amen? God will flip the tables on you. Haman tries to use the gallows to kill the Jews, met his end at the gallows. Here's another one. The enemy tried to exterminate Jesus at Calvary. And at Calvary, you know, the ground split and basically says Golgotha was crushed. Amen. Hallelujah. Through Jesus' sacrifice. The enemy is trying to always set up the people of God to destroy them. And God will turn the tables and destroy him with the very thing that he tries to place against the service of God. So in other words, as this relates to our future... Don't allow the attacks, the assignments, and the things that seem to be coming your way that even seem devastated or like, I'm not going to get out of the situation. This is too big for me. I don't know any way out of this. Don't sit there and say, this is going to be the end of me. Amen? I like how Apostle Lester said, this is not my end. <laughs> this is not my end. <laughs> we have a future in store for us, in front of us. And as we see here, we had to keep visualizing it, speaking it, believing in it, being bold in God and confident in terms of our profession of faith, as we saw here with the book of Esther. Don't sit there and just be a status quo Christian and say, oh, I don't want to rattle in cages. I don't want to disturb the peace. I don't want to shake the cage. You know, sometimes you're going to have to shake the cage. Jesus, matter of fact, Jesus, to fulfill his destiny... He was a nuisance going around preaching the gospel. You know when they said they had to, just, they had to kill him, we had enough? When well, he went to the temple, flipped the tables. And that's rattling some cages for you. Think about that. He was preaching all over the place. Why is he healing on the Sabbath? Why is he doing this or that? And they're murmuring, they're complaining, they're talking about him. They're trying to undermine him. But when they said we got to kill him, 
He went to the temple, turned that place out, flipped over the table of who? The money changers. They're like, oh, we got to kill him now. He done mess with the money. You know my teaching series was on that table? You know how I packaged that stuff? I had a shofar and a scroll, and I had my, my picture, you know, cut in the wood. with a, and He done flipped over my... Oh, we're going to kill him now. He, he messed with the money. Drove out the doves and the money changers and all that stuff. Because think about that. Jesus didn't have problems with the tax collectors. He was like, follow me. But when they put it in the temple, it was like, oh, no. You ain't going to commercialize the house of my father. Turn that place out. And when he did, we're going to kill him now. Oh, he ain't a nuisance anymore. He's a dead man. We're going to get him. Amen. So we cannot have this passive Christian mentality. Oh, I can't rattle the cage. I can't bother anybody. Sometimes God's going to say, you're going to bother a few people. But as we see, it took Jesus on the mission to his destiny. As we see with Paul, stoned and shipwrecked and beaten and thrown in jail. All these things, rattling cages and disturbing people, was part of him getting to his destiny. Some of us might have to rattle some cages too, but just as Jesus promised a future before them and himself and he saw them fulfilled, God will fulfill the same in us. Amen? We just need to have the mindset that I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to relent. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to be defeated. I'm not going to be boxed in. I'm not going to allow my trouble now to define me or my mistakes or troubles from the past to define me. God has something in store for me. But I got to start visualizing it and speaking it. And once again, speak those things which be not. I will not live in the land of not. Amen. I'm leaving the land of not. I will no longer live in the land of not or can't do. Or will never happen. I'm going to land, live in the land of speak those things which are not right now, but they're going to be because he already did it in my past. Amen. So now I'm doing is anxiously awaiting, eagerly awaiting, rejoicefully awaiting the manifestation of that he already did to come into my future as I speak it forth into my presence. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all rise. I'm just going to do a corporate prayer. Um, but I'm going to uh, anoint everybody. If I can get this off. And I'll put it on. I can't get it off. Just going to pray of agreement for everybody. I'm sure we're all dreaming of different things. So power and agreement for all of us, amen? Should we all have things? Thank you. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, the text scripture says, God calleth forth, bid forth those things which be not as though they were. Have you just been passively, oh, I hope it happens. 
to now we're going to come together in agreement and bid these things forth. Amen? In the name of Jesus. We don't have power in and of ourselves to bring them forth. But the one we serve because he foreknew and fashioned and envisioned those things for us, as we walk in obedience, all we do is let forth the word of faith, and he actually is the one who pulls them forth in the manifestation. So your strength is not necessary to bring the things forth. Amen? Your lack of supply and gifting and resources is not the thing that brings in the manifestation. It's his power working in agreement with your faith. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and glorify and honor you for bringing to manifestation, Lord, those things which we have not yet attained, whether it's giftings, healings, ministries, relationships, finances, and other resources, whatever it may be, Lord. Hallelujah. Emotional healing, salvation, deliverance for loved ones. Hallelujah. Whatever it may be, Lord, we praise and thank you, Father. Uh, once again, we come into agreement, Lord, that if any of us has spoken against it or allowed ourselves to believe the deceptions of the enemy or even people speaking negatively in our lives, right now, Father, we repent of every ungodly thought. And we thank and praise you right now, Father, that as we would repent, you would uproot every uh, ungodly assignment, every ungodly attachment, every ungodly root, every ungodly wound right now. And if it says in the book of Jeremiah, we root out, but now we plant. Hallelujah. We pluck out, but we plant and seed and germinate and water the dreams and destinies of God right now into our lives. And we praise and thank you, Father, that all those things that are coming to mind even now, hallelujah, you would bring those things forth. We bid them come, come. In the name of Jesus, we bid them come, come according to the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank and praise you right now, Father, hallelujah, that we're expecting and anticipating the blessings of God to flow forth in our life right now in the current time. And we thank and praise you, Lord, that the hands of the enemy cannot detain, they cannot resist, they cannot destroy, and they cannot prevent the plan and the purpose of God coming forth in our lives. We praise you and thank you, Father, for this, and we give you the glory and honor, Father. Any of us need healing of mind, body, spirit, emotions, Lord, right now you will pour out your healing balm upon each one of us, Lord. It will saturate us inside and out from top of our head to the soles of our feet. We praise and thank you, Father, that even as the anointing oil flowed from Aaron's head down to his feet, Hallelujah. Then across the ground, Lord, we praise and thank you, Father, that even as you saturate us, the oil of anointing, Father, and of power, hallelujah, and of change and of impact will flow out of us and into the lives of those that we interact with. Right now, even mindful, hallelujah, of Norm's dad, they had given him up to, to perish within days, and he traveled across the, the ocean, Lord. We praise and thank you right now, hallelujah, that you would touch his body from head to toe, hallelujah, that he would live and not die. We speak healing over him, mind, body, spirit. We speak salvation over the entire family right now. Let the residue of righteousness, hallelujah, pour out upon him, his wife, 
the children and grandchildren, that entire family, Lord. And we thank you and praise you, Father, for this. We thank you, Father, once again for doing a work in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fill us to overflow with your Holy Spirit. Even as you stirred up Gideon. Hallelujah. Stir us up. Stir up our gifts. Stir up our ministries. Stir up our businesses. Stir up our dreams and our goals. Stir up those things. And we praise and thank you, Father, that they will come into manifestation in this season. We praise and thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let no assignment or attack of the enemy even touch us right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And even those things that you would allow, we praise you, Father, that we would use it for testimonies of your glory, dominion, and power. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. Hallelujah. Energize us, empower us, equip us to be generals in your army, to be colonels and lieutenants, hallelujah, even privates. Just let us be out there in a battlefield touching and impacting people for the name of Jesus. And we praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.